Good morning, Shelton. It's so good to be with you this morning. I know meeting virtually, preaching virtually for the first time, it's not the ideal, but I'm still grateful that we get to open up the Word of God this morning. About a couple weeks ago, Bill, Shep, and I got together and we talked about how can we serve the body of Shelton the best in the season that we are walking through. As a result, Shep brought us the word from James chapter 1 about joy. And today, I'll be doing a follow-up sermon from Philippians 4. The topic is peace. How can we have peace of God in the middle of a hardship? It seems like peace is such a difficult thing to have. As soon as we think we have it, it's fleeting again. I hope and pray that the word will speak to you. It's not my words. It's the word of the Lord. I pray that this message will help you as it has been helping my own soul as I seek the peace of the Lord. Today's passage is from Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Let me read it for us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is reading of God's word. Three diagnostic questions that I'll ask as you seek the peace of God. This will serve as three points of the sermon as well. Number one, how are you rejoicing? Number two, how are you living? Number three, how are you praying? How are you rejoicing? Verse four, how are you living? Verse five, how are you praying? Verse six, let's dive in right away. First, how are you rejoicing today? Look, verse four, what does Paul say? Rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice. Now, Paul is writing this to the church of Philippi. See, the church of Philippi was the first church that Paul planted in Eastern Europe. And this area was a former Roman colony. As a result, there were a lot of retired soldiers who were nationalistic and very patriotic. Imagine trying to declare Jesus as your new king. Oh, these soldiers and this country, this area, these surrounding people are not going to like that. As a result, Paul faced great persecution. And even after he left, the church of Philippi were very having difficult time by their surrounding neighbors. They were not nice to them because of their allegiance to true King Jesus. Yet what is Paul encouraging them to do? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. The question we must ask ourselves then, are rejoicing and suffering mutually exclusive? The answer is not. Because we heard the message last week, true joy does not deny the presence of suffering. That means, yes, we can rejoice even when things are difficult. Why though? Why can we do that? Because what does Paul say? Does he say rejoice in hardship? Rejoice in good times? Nope. His rationale is rejoice in the Lord. In other words, even if life is hard, 
because your true identity is in Christ, because you are in the Lord, that should be the biggest weight of your heart. That should be the biggest anchor of your soul. So yes, we do not deny that life is hard. Life is hard. Yet there is some sort of spiritual buoyancy in your heart, that lightness of the soul. Because we know our hope is secure in Christ alone. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. It's a reasonable joy. It's not a just hee-hee-ha-ha joy. <laughs> the great example of that is 2 Corinthians 4. This is what Paul says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Chelton, don't lose heart in your hardship. Remember who you are in Christ first and foremost. God knows that you are walking through very trying seasons. See, for the sailors, the storm in the ocean is the worst thing that can happen. Imagine you're in the middle of the ocean and there's a raging storm blowing and knocking your ships all over the places. Is that good? Absolutely not. It's a terrible thing. They toss you all over the places and you will struggle. But if the ship is anchored to the bottom of the ocean, yes, you might waver a little bit, but you stay float. There's buoyancy. Same thing for Christian. Life may be hard. We will struggle because storm is hard. This life is difficult. But when we are anchored in Christ, because this is the biggest weight of our lives, because we know we are securing Christ, we stay float. We still rejoice. So we struggle well. Yes, storms will still knock us down. Yes, we might waver, but we come back. We stay float. We rejoice in the Lord. Even life is hard. How are you rejoicing today, Chelton? Are you truly rejoicing in Christ alone? He has pursued you, died for you. We have reason to be joyful in Him. Second diagnostic question as we seek the peace of the Lord. How are you living? Look verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The word that's been translated here as gentleness is one of those words that translations vary from one version to another version. NIV here is translated as gentleness. Some version translates it as reasonableness, some as moderation, some as forbearance, another as being considerate. So you see that this translation varies quite a bit, but you sort of get the idea. This word gentleness is a bent of a character that does not swing from one extreme to another extreme. That you are not swinging from this and that all the time, but there's poise, forbearance, reasonableness, and moderation in a way that you conduct your life. See, I feel like this is such a lost version nowadays. No wonder Paul is calling gentleness a fruit of the Spirit. Nowadays, I feel like extreme is what wins. The next best thing is what you see in the commercial. I feel like every news is breaking news nowadays. Everything's epic. Goat, the greatest of all time. We want the extreme. We want the what is the best. That's what we look for. Like all over the places, most loud seems to win, most assertive, most aggressive. 
is what seems to be very treasured and valued. In a sense, gentleness and humility seems like a lack of character in this world. No, it's not. Because Paul is saying, let gentleness be evident to all. See, when we just look around the world, it's easy to finger point at them. But what about us? Because I think often we are the ones that run extreme as well. These days I witness I'm bored out of my mind. I don't know what to do with myself too. I am so busy. I don't even have time to eat or rest. See, some people respond to this difficulty with great explosive anger, aggression, and some respond with a sheer resignation, despair, complete meltdown and loss of hope. Even in the normal workplace, I've seen people when there's no moderation of your soul. I've seen people just success going into their head thinking, I am great. I did it all. And their failures going into their heart thinking, I am nobody. What am I even worth it? But when there is moderation of your soul, success will not go into your head because you know it is God's grace. Nor failures will go into your heart because you know you are a child of God. See, I am guilty of running one extreme to another extreme as well. If we do so, what's the antidote that heals us from that? Look, Paul's reasoning. What does it say? Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why and how? The Lord is near. The Lord is near means two things. Yes, the Lord is with us. God is walking through our lives with us. Yet also, Christ coming back is soon. In other words, Paul is not looking at the circumstances surrounding situation to find his poise, find his gentleness, but he's looking at Jesus to find his poise of the soul, the equilibrium, the inner tranquility by looking at Jesus. Of course, when we look around the world, all we feel is panic. Look, Matthew chapter 14. Peter bravely jumped out of the boat and walked on a water approaching Jesus. When his eyes were fixated on Jesus, he was able to walk. But as soon as he looked at surrounding raging storms, he begins to sink. That's often who we are. Chilton, do you and I realize that we become the product of our exposure? What do you expose yourself the most? When all we see is surrounding circumstances, yes, fear is a very natural response. So expose yourself, commune with Jesus today. The Lord is near. That's what Paul says. If you want to know what you are being shaped by, what you are being influenced day by day, carefully observe your involuntary thought. When I say involuntary thought is what do you think when nothing else demands your attention, when all the deadline has been met, when the work is finished, when the kids are tucked into bed, where does your mind naturally drift to? Because that often reveals your true allegiance, your true functional or operating God. When nothing is due, nothing demands your immediate attention. Do you daydream about your beach house? Do you daydream about your security, finance? What's your most greatest daydream? What's your first thought in the morning and last thought at night? I realize sometimes first thought I have in the morning, I feel like my functional and operating God is a God of productivity. I check myself on mark, these are my to-do list. If only I finish all this to-do list, I am somebody. 
See, I have been influenced by this culture. Work hard, that's how you prove yourself to others. But what if, this is what my seminary professor told me, folks, why do you read the word of God? Is that because you have to? Is that because so that you can mark off the checklist? So that you can tell friends, oh, this is one verse I read that was very helpful. But not only aim for quality, but also quantities. What if you spent so much time in the word? You might not get nothing, you might get nothing out of it sometimes, but because you feast in the presence of the Lord so much that even your involuntary thought, when you daydream, when nothing else demands your attention, because you've spent so much time with God, you will slowly begin to notice your mind thinks like the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful? The first thought when I rise in the morning is like, God, thank you for granting this another day. This is another day to worship you and live for you. What I daydream about is like, how can I proclaim the glory of God? How can I share my life? How can I love my neighbor? Is that what you daydream about? What are you shaped by? Here Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. Do you remember the Lord? Do you seek Jesus today, Chelton? Do you realize that he's coming back soon? May it give us, may it provide us great tranquility of our soul. So first, how are you rejoicing? Second, how are you living? Third, how are you praying? Look verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, have you ever been in a situation where you are anxious about something and you remembered Philippians 4, 6, so you pray about it, but after prayer, somehow you're far more anxious than before. I'll just say an example. Let's say you're worried about your job security. So you pray, God, I'm worried about job. I'm worried about job, worried about job. Help me in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Oh God, I prayed about it. I feel so much better. No. You're far more anxious sometimes. Do you know why? You're, you say, God, I prayed about it. If I'm anxious, you said pray about it. So I prayed about my anxiousness, but I'm more anxious. Why? Well, because all you thought about is what your worries are. Have you ever taken time to think of the Lord? Watch the key to prayer here. Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Folks, have you ever predetermined yourself to give God thanks regardless how he answers your prayer? God, if you answer my prayer with desires that I have, I'll be grateful. But if you give me no, something that I did not desire, I'll still be grateful for you know better. Sometimes the hardest answer that God gives us is wait, isn't it? You just want yes or no, but when God seems to be silent, when God does not immediately answer your prayers, when it requires decades of prayer, it's hard. But you still predetermine yourself, God, I give you thanks, for you know better than I do. When you do that, do you know what that is? You are truly surrendering the desires of your heart to the Lord. You are saying, God, I don't know better, I am worried, but I trust that you are good, and I thank you for no matter what you're going to do. That's the secret of prayer that Paul is asking us to do. How are you praying today? 17 years ago, I came to the America for the first time. 
So I landed in beautiful Colorado, right near Denver, this little city called Brighton. See, when you are a 17 years old young man, you think you're the man. I thought I am the man. Look at me, coming all the way from Korea to the United States. This is prestige. Wow, I am great. I am ready to flip the world upside down. I am awesome. But I landed here and man, I cannot even speak the language. It was incredibly humbling to use body language to communicate any basic communication. I'm hungry. I mean, it was very, very humbling and difficult first year because I didn't know any language. That will humble you. That really did humble me. So every day, my senior in high school, I do school and then I go to soccer practice. And after that, I would go in front of this Brighton Public Library to wait for my host mother to come and pick me up. And after a hard day, I'm always waiting in front of this library. I'm looking up the sky. God, what am I doing here? You brought me here and I cannot even speak the language. This is humiliating. But I don't know why I said this. Some of my prayer always went this way. I, I don't know why. But I kept thinking, God, just to give me a few years, I would love to give you all the things I don't understand, but I would love to come back here three, four years later. Hopefully I can come back to this spot and give you thanks for all the great things that you've done regardless how well or how poor I can speak, thinking by that point, I'll speak at least a little bit better. So I ended up going to college here in the States later. When I was at college, my best friend from Colorado was getting married. So I flew to Colorado to sing for his wedding. And after wedding, I stayed with my host parents again. And I'm telling Sherry, Sherry, can you please drop me off at that library? I really need to go there. And Sherry's like, Oh no, Jin, I'm so sorry. Brighton demolished the library. And I'm like, oh no, that's a special place for me. And Sharon's like, so you have no need to go there. I'm like, no, I made a promise to somebody. That's okay, even if it's a barren parking lot. I just need to go there. Can you drop me off an hour? Sherry dropped me off to this library, barren parking lot. There are just a few breaks, leftovers from demolition. And here I am standing in an empty parking lot just crying, having greatest Thanksgiving service. God, here I am. Do you know how humiliated I was? Here I am giving you thanks. Looks like I can speak a little bit at least. I am grateful for all the great things that you have done. It's not I, but you that brought me through all this. Shelton, have you predetermined yourself to give thanks to God regardless how God answers your prayer? That's what Jesus did. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass away from me. But what does Jesus say? But not my will, but your will. He's surrendering his will to God. How are you praying today? So how are you rejoicing? Do you truly rejoice in the Lord? How are you living? Is your life marked by gentleness and moderation? Because you're not looking at the circumstances. You look to Jesus so much more. You know that the Lord is near. And how are you praying? Do you truly surrender your will to God? Because your prayer life is marked by thanksgiving. You know that God knows better than you do. When we do this, what does the word of God promise to us? Look verse 7. What does it say? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here the Lord promised to us that the peace of God will be with us. 
See, this peace that Paul is guaranteeing us is not the circumstantial peace. It's the divine peace. The peace that surpasses, transcends all understanding, will keep us, guard us. Sometimes our peace that we have don't even make sense, doesn't it? And it says it will guard us. Did you know that the guard used there is a military word? See, enemies may be great out there. Life still may well be terrible. But because you have the guard that protects you, if the Lord is guarding you, the enemies might come. But because you know the Lord is strong enough to hold off the enemies, you sleep with great peace at night because it is the Lord who protects us and guards our mind with peace of God. So especially in the New Testament, peace is not the absence of the conflict, but the presence of God. It really is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of suffering, but it is the presence of God who guards us, that gives us this deep equilibrium of our soul, that tranquility that we desperately desire. Do you know how God has promised that to us, Chelton? Do you know how God made it accessible to us? Did you know while God is promising that He will guard our thoughts and mind, did you know God did not guard Himself at the cross? Did you know Jesus Christ lost all His peace at the cross so that you will have peace with God. You will no longer be enemies of God, but you are now in relationship with Him. He is your Father. And because now we have peace with God, we can have peace of God. Jesus Christ lost all His peace. He cried out, My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Did you know Jesus was forsaken so that you would have access to this glorious peace that surpasses all understanding? Folks, because Jesus was forsaken, now we are peace with God. We are reconciled to Him. So this peace of God is accessible. We can pray before the Lord. We can examine our heart all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Do you know Him today? Do you know what Christ has done for you? How are you rejoicing? Are you truly rejoicing in Christ and what He has done for us? Is your life marked by gentleness? The Lord's return is coming soon, Shelton. The Lord will come back. His return is imminent. The Lord is near. Yes, we struggle. Storm is hard, but we still remember Maranatha. Come. Come soon, dear Lord Jesus. With that gospel motivation, in times of unknowns and trials, life is hard. Anxiousness is a real thing. That's pandemic. Anxiousness is pandemic. But even in the middle of uncertainties and unknown, whether it be career, finance, we still trust God. We still thank God in all our prayers for our God knows better. Do you know Jesus? Let's pray. God, we need Jesus today. God, I need him today. Oh Lord, speak to our anxious soul. Give us this deep gospel sabbatical rest that our heart is looking for. Oh Lord, we look to Jesus to find that peace today. Oh Lord, speak to us and thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.